the hallmark of a traumatized child is never letting yourself make a mistake. Mistakes were stolen from me Mm. when I was a kid. It was the end of the world if I made the tiniest little mistake. I took what my parents did to me and made it an internal process. And part of that, and and did it more enthusiastically than even they did, I think. Wow. You know, self-hate is what I'm talking about. Good day, dear friends and damn givers. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is the Let's Give a Damn podcast. As you already know, this is the show you come to when you want to hear from people who are giving a damn in so many unique and meaningful ways. Thank you for hitting play on that little mobile phone of yours. Thank you for showing up this week. I hope you're doing well, and I'm so glad you're here. Friends, I am thrilled, beyond thrilled, to share this week's conversation with you. Truly. My guest is brilliant, kind, and has so much to teach us. Jeffrey Marsh is a teacher, coach, best-selling author, social media star, and so much more. They are one of the most well-known commentators and teachers on non-binary identity and activism in the U.S. Additionally, Jeffrey was the first openly non-binary public figure to be interviewed on national TV and the first non-binary author to be offered a book deal by one of the five big publishing houses. That book, How to Be You, became a best-selling book that is part memoir, part workbook, and part spiritual advice. Jeffrey was also a cultural consultant on non-binary identity for the Elizabeth Warren campaign, NYU, GLAAD, MTV, Condé Nast's Them, and Teen Vogue, and so many other places. Listen, if you want to hear all of their credentials and publications and mentions, it would take me quite a while because they have been a lot of places, they have done a lot of things, but I'm going to leave that to you to Google the rest because I want to actually get to our conversation sometime soon. If you aren't already one of Jeffrey's hundreds of thousands of social media followers, I recommend you change that as soon as possible. Jeffrey likely receives more hatred in one day than most of you do in a year, five years, 10 years, maybe your entire life. And I don't think I've witnessed anyone engage with hatred and transphobia and downright disgusting comments and ideas like Jeffrey does. Jeffrey responds with so much grace and kindness and patience. It's really stunning and helpful to watch. Y'all, I rarely get nervous talking to people. I love talking to people. I rarely get nervous during podcast conversations. And I'll be honest, I don't think I was nervous to talk to Jeffrey. I was very excited. But I was trying to be a bit more careful because of who Jeffrey is, all the shit they have had to deal with in their life, and because of how I grew up, honestly, in a very conservative, homophobic, transphobic, hateful Christian environment. So before I began, I mentioned something to this effect, and as soon as we began recording, Jeffrey kindly called me out and brought it up. And I'm so glad they did so that you get to hear what they had to say and how I responded. I think you'll find it super helpful. Friends, our conversation encouraged me, 
challenged me, helped me in so many ways, and I hope it does the same for you. Before we begin, as always, here's a quick reminder that you can, anytime and for any reason, email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show, anything goes. I just want to hear from you. It's time. Without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with the incredible and brilliant Jeffrey Marsh. Let's go. Jeffrey Marsh, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Hi, let's give a damn. Let's give a damn. You do give a damn. Uh, I'm so thrilled for this conversation. I first became aware of who you are and your content online about a year ago, well after you've started doing it. You've been you've been doing mm-hmm. this for years and years and years. And I actually can't, I was trying to think of how it came about. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I'm now aware of who you are and love, love, love your content. My kids watch it. My children are eight, seven, nine, and 10. And- I want to talk about that. Well, let's. Uh, well, especially in light of today, the don't say gay bill. Indeed. In and what's happening Florida, in Texas too. Yeah. yeah. So before we talk about that though, yeah. we have to go back to something you said right before we started to roll. Yeah. That means record if yes. people aren't in the industry. <laughs> we're rolling. Uh, we're rolling. Um, and before we started to roll, you said what was going through your mind was don't F it up. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Why? Because of me? Um, I'm very comfortable with talking to people. I yes. love talking to people, all kinds of people. It's what I do for a living. But also, I think, and we'll get into your your uh, Buddhism that you adhere to, this sort of Zen nature about you. I'm a very, so last, yesterday, I was, I had a conversation with an actress, friend of mine named Rochelle Lefebvre. She was in Twilight and a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff. And she and I are kindred spirits. We are preachy, loud, aggressive. And I felt, I mean, we just went for an hour and 45 minutes. It felt like 20 because there was just this, we're just louder. We just go nonstop. And when I, you're one of the few people in my sphere that you are so calculated <laughs> with what you say how you help people, the, the ideas caring you, you, about what I caring say, about yes. it because it matters, right? Yeah. Words matter. And I know that, but I still fuck it up all the time. Like I'm still like, Oh, I mean, I have to apologize every single day to my wife, my kids, people around me. Cause I'm like, shouldn't have said that. I know that, but it came out and I'm, you know, I'm growing up and working on stuff. So it was kind of an offhand, like just comment, but also, yeah, I respect you a lot. And I want to make sure that I'm, you know, taking care of your time and, who you are and the messages you want to share. Thank you. I kind of wish you would say the wrong thing because then we can talk about it. Yeah. Well, I probably will. Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there's this weird thing that has happened. So I'm non-binary and I'm one of the most prominent public figures who is out. Yep. And I've witnessed this transition. So years ago, it used to be the reaction to people like us was, who is that? freak in a dress Mm. like this very like oh you'd put people on edge you know Mm. just just going to the grocery store and that sort of morphed its way into i'm afraid to say the wrong thing 
mm. around Jeffrey. Mm. But in both approaches to who we are, we're the isolated ones. We're the lonely ones. We're it's the true. ones over there people are reacting to instead of us being active participants. So I, 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 it's okay with me if you feel, if you care, Yeah. like we were saying, yeah. you know, what comes out of your mouth. I think that's a really good thing. And I've had everything on earth said to me. So yes, yes, you have. It. Yes, you have. <laughs> I have seen some of the most horrific things I've ever seen someone have to face, especially for their sexuality. Like, you know, diff different interviews that I've seen you be part of. And again, the ways that you respond, I admire that, aspire to that. Because if the, for, for whatever my things are, if those things were to happen to me, I would have a hard time. I wouldn't blow up and beat the crap out of them, but I would... I don't know if I would take it on the chin like you do. And I'm sure that comes sure. from years and, well, decades of taking it on the chin and building up a resilience to it and really knowing that hurt people hurt people. And they're the, looking at them as, you're hurt. What happened to you? You know, you even said, like, I hope you mess up so we can talk about it. Like that idea versus you're a bad person for thinking and believing that it feels like you actually believe that they can come along. They can change. Yeah. I, well, it's, it's one of the guiding principles of my life to not be mean to other people. Yeah. And I do that selfishly for me. Yeah. Because I don't want to be a mean person. Yeah. And there is nobody who's going to tear me away from that personal goal, that personal uh, integrity. Right. Have you ever had a moment where you did, like in the last decade or five years, where you did lose it and then later you're like, shit, I shouldn't have, like I shouldn't have acted that way? Or have you, you have it under such control, whether it's the, the Zen Buddhism, whether it's just your tolerance where you, yeah, you just keep a level head always? Well, uh, most of the time. I, the first thing that popped into my mind was, you know, we all get in a bad mood. Mm. And so sometimes I'll say something to my partner and I was like, oh, sorry I said that. <laughs> and that was like childhood stuff just coming out on you. Right. And that stuff, that stuff, I guess, will happen for the rest of my life. But still coming back to kindness for me helps me to have kindness for others. Yeah. And that's always what I'm doing. I love that. So the kid thing too, um, I'm thinking a lot about kids. Yeah. I have three children. I love them to the moon and back. And I am trying to not despise my past, which was full mm -hmm. of abuse, full of, um, yeah, abusive patriarchal Christianity. Um, not despise that because it's part of my story. And I don't despise anything that's happened to me, even though very painful things have happened to me, you know? while still saying, I want so much better for my children. And although I think we are, you know, my, my partner and I are stumbling through, you know, raising children, mm -hmm. there are these little, especially they're now old enough that they are, you know, they're beyond speaking full sentences. Now they're speaking full ideas. And they're really talking out things that are happening in the world. Now that that's happening, we're obviously getting a peek more into who, who they really are what they're becoming and um, some really beautiful things are coming out. For example, showing yeah. them your content without any commentary, without, you know, 
be prepared. Jeffrey's going to look a little different than most of your friends or the people you see. Nothing. Just like, here, you should see this. And the the very first time I remember, you were wearing a dress. And that's what they commented on. Not that it was weird, that it was a beautiful dress. Mm-hmm. And that, oh, I like I like them. I'm pretty sure. I like them. Yeah, you are. No, I mean, look at, <laughs> we were commenting before it turned on. Like, this is my standard, like, dirty Chuck Taylors, a pair of, you know, uh, skinny black jeans and a hoodie. And this is what I kind of live in. Kind of the weird Mark Zuckerberg, like, thing, you know, mm-hmm. wear the same thing every day. Uniform. Mm-hmm. But you, you've got it going on. I do not have a uniform. That no. That is correct. Your uniform changes uh, every single that day. That is correct. You know, the interesting thing about Florida, Texas, uh, the political side is that the content I have made that is directly for young people has gotten me the most trouble Mm. of any content I have ever made. And I will make a video saying, there's no such thing as girls toys or boys toys. You should have the toys you want. You know, you should be interested in what you want, right? Or, you know, you should wear what you want. You know, it, all these, all these, what seem pretty innocuous ideas Pretty simple to me. ideas. Um, one of those videos my f- was used in a segment on Fox News in primetime about how the internet is coming for your children. Uh, and Jeffrey Marsh is, is leading the movement or something. It's, it's really a hot button issue. And what I think most people don't don't understand or what I what I would always remind people of is that I was that kid. Mm. So no matter what you do, there are going to be kids who are like me. What about them? So good. <laughs> so good. No, it's so good because here's what I have found. I have found... You know, you said these get, these videos get you into trouble. Trouble with who? The kids? Not the kids. No, far no, right with, extremists. And with the adults, specific. with the yep. parents. Yep. What I have found raising three children where I see my role not to tell them who they are, what to turn into, and really give them like a long, a long list of this is how the world works and you can't change it and just deal with it. And this is who God is. And this is how God does things in the world, all the stuff that comes along with that. And if you're not a Christian, then you're go- like all the things that I grew up believe just, I mean, just list after list after list where all day long, I'm thinking about, am I, am I fucking, how am I? And how mad has God at me today? Not parenting my children that way. They get it so easily. Mm-hmm. They get it so easily. For those that listen to the podcast that I'm doing with Rochelle yesterday, because we talked about it, Rochelle, they have a five-year-old uh, child who several months ago came out as gender fluid. Mm-hmm. Beautiful little child, and they're f- w- totally supportive, but also, you know, just f- working out. They're moving to Nashville, Tennessee, with a three-year-old uh, child that they adopted a black girl and they have a gender fluid five-year-old child that they are taking to Nashville, Tennessee, not the worst place in the world, but one where they are going to get looked up and down everywhere they go, everything they're doing. Cause their, their child is, you know, beginning to some days they wear, you know, pants. Some days they wear a dress figure. They're figuring out who they are. Um, 
Oh, pause there. They're expressing who they are. They're not figuring it out. Yeah. Because mm. you don't say for non-trans kids, right, for cisgender kids, you don't say they're figuring it out. No. I mean, you. I guess you might for some things, but their identity is not something that's figured out. It's something that's expressed over time. And they might be, quote-unquote, figuring out the best way to express themselves, but there's, I've just... Having been done, having done this work for years, I'm mm. hyper aware of the separate and unequal turns of phrase that get used for so true. Like someone like me identifies as non-binary. No, I, I am non-binary, right? You don't identify as a man. No. I'm guessing just, <laughs> you just, are one. Just right? am. It, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's things like that that bring me back to a full sense of the deep linguistic inequality that's going on. And that stuff just gets passed right on to the kids. The language is so important. How, for those listening that with children or no children, because I think we, the adults, again, just have to figure out how to use our language better because even though weird shit is happening in Florida and Texas and other places, the people are getting stronger and they're becoming more resilient. Mm -hmm. And these amazing humans that are now out or, and, or are coming out, they're not going away. This isn't stopping some stupid bill in Florida is not going to stop gay, lesbian, trans, gender fluid children in Florida from being that. This is, it's just such a dumb thing. It's such a dumb, useless thing that it is now on the desk of Ron DeSantis and he he will sign it. Oh, it's not useless. It's votes, it's power, it's money. Yeah. To be specific, uh, it's two things you don't, don't forget where you're going. I don't mean to cut you off. No, nope, I'm good. Please, um, whenever. Two things you made me think of. Number one, it is being used as a political issue. There is a, the people can Google it, but there's a politician who said that laws against trans kids are a quote, winning issue, end quote. So the mental health, uh, you know, the stuff we're doing to kids doesn't matter. It's a winning issue to attack these children. But the other thing that you made me think of is it's not that they know me. They don't, they don't, I, I, they may have trans kids in their family. The only thing you're doing is causing stress and upset. Trans people are less than 1% of the population. It's very hard for any of us to ruin something or destroy gender or whatever it is. It's a it's a ploy to win to get votes. Unfortunately, totally agree. A few weeks ago, I interviewed um, an amazing woman named Amanda Littman. Mm-hmm. She worked on the Obama campaign, then she was Hillary's email director. Then she was out of a job in 2016, unfortunately. And she started an organization. Did you say Hillary's email director? Yes. 
not those emails. Oh, like the, <laughs> it's the like emails, what a job to I have. Know. No, the <laughs> like the fun the emails you'd get from you know right. Bruce Springsteen wants you to give to, yeah, <laughs> yeah those yeah. Um, and they started an organization called she and her co-founder started called Run for Something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, so it sounds like you might be aware of them. And so we had this conversation that blew my mind. I'm semi sort of, it's in an increasing manner getting interested in politics and wanting to figure out, like I, I vote as much as I can, as often as I can. But she blew my mind when she said, there are 500,000 electable positions you can run for in this country. 500,000 things that you can run for office. And it's, you know, we, we know the big ones. We know congressmen, congresswomen. Mm-hmm. We know senators. President. We know president, all that. We know city council. We know mayors, governors. That's less, that's like a thousand people total in the country. And then you have so many others, sanitation. One that she, and this is, I, I, brought, I bring that up to say, yes, it's votes, it's politics, it's money. And I actually, am, in this season of life, feel very hopeful, not just because I met Amanda and love the work that they're doing at that organization because they've already gotten, they've endorsed, um, they have a hundred thousand young people in the pipeline that want to run for office. They have endorsed 2,500 of them and they have won 700 races. Great. Just in the last couple of years. Yeah. So I am very hopeful that the Ron DeSantis and whoever that politician was that said that and all, all of the, the, the governor Abbott's, I believe their time, not all of them, there will always be opposition, but I believe their time is coming to an end because people are seeing the importance of voting. But one that I think was interesting that Amanda brought up, because I said, what are the three positions, offices that people should run for that they're not thinking about? And she mentioned two that a lot of people would think about, city council, school board, super important, very important. And then... She said, this one's going to blow your mind. She said, coroner. Hmm. 1,300 counties elect their coroner. Why is that important? And she brought up a few scenarios. One is uh, police brutality, right? Someone, uh, a, a black person, a, a brown person gets shot by a, a, a cop for not a good reason. There's no good reason to shoot someone. Let me be very clear. I'm a hippy-dippy pacifist. But they weren't doing anything. They were selling yeah. loose cigarettes. They were, uh, you know, whatever, a $20 bill at the, at, the, at the grocery store. Their coroner has so much power to direct how that forthcoming trial goes, if there is one, who gets in trouble ultimately. And she brought up an important point. The issue of trans people, gender fluid people, how they identify, there are so many people that when they die on their death certificate, it is yep. the gender that they were assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. And so the numbers are skewed. And more than the numbers are skewed, this person, this whole person that passed on for whatever reason is not honored. Right. Who they were is not honored in their death. They, have, they now, at least on paper, become someone else. Um, that forever, forever, forever. Because yep. that death certificate, you don't get a, you don't get, you don't get a redo. Once it's on there, it gets archived. Now that in the census, in the numbers, 
So I totally agree that power voting, like we've got to get to work. There are so many Floridians. And I would say an overwhelming amount of Floridians think this is a shitty thing that's happening. I would hope so. And we yeah. have work to do in the future to make sure that it gets. Now, it was 22 to 17. The 17 gives me hope because honestly, the way that I think about Texas, I'm thinking it's going to be 30 something to maybe, you know, under 10. Right. 22 to 17. Now, 22 voting for it, it's horrific. But that to me gave me hope. Although it's a sad day and that will get signed into law and there will be legal and other fights to, to repeal it. Um, 17 gave me hope. 17 people that have that are making laws and that are changing how things are going said, this is ridiculous. Not voting for that. Can I tell you something? You may. Fun. Um, people feel uh, connected to me. That's part of the reason why I do my work. Yes. And so I see people arguing, you know, that's Jeffrey. That's my friend. Mm. Trans people aren't like that, right? When they are faced with this far-right propagandistic uh, approach to what it means. This year is shaping up to be the year with the most anti-trans laws passed, period, in human history. Which says to me that we must be getting somewhere, mm. right? They have mm. to meet it with resistance because something's happening because there is this, and I've witnessed it. There is this incredible positive shift toward full human dignity. Imagine, imagine. Let's talk about this. I want to get to your, I actually want to in a minute have you, I know we just dove right into the issues. I do want to get some of your story. I've collected sure. parts of it as you know, I've consumed your content, but I kind of want to hear your version of like how you, how you became fully you. Right. Um, but before we get there, almost the title of my book. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, you mentioned earlier that the percentage of people like you is so small. Correct. So why in the hell are people so, why is there this language? Why are we spending time right now? There are wars going on, not just in Ukraine, all over the world. We are, we have lost Millions of people around the world, almost a million just in our country alone over the last couple of years because of COVID. We have so much to be going after. There are 400,000 kids in the foster care system. We could eliminate that tomorrow. We could, we could provide housing for everyone in, in, the, in this country, in this city, tomorrow with the amount of empty homes there are, with the amount of resources we have. And yet, this is the important thing to pass. So there's this <laughs> yeah. boogie monster that we, that the right has created. But why? How, how, how does it happen that something so small becomes the main issue? Is that rhetorical? Or no, do I do want, want to hear your answer? perspective. Power, money, and votes. So we, we've got to come back to that kind of motivation. I mean, this is the side of the story we don't get to talk about. So that's why it's so brilliant that you brought it up. There are other laws they could be passing. Yeah. So sort of part of the sunk cost of passing an anti-trans bill is you're lobbying for it. You're writing it. You're, you're spending the administrative time on it. You're spending all of this government time and effort 
to try to curtail less than 1% of the population that's not actually doing anything <laughs> wrong or yeah, bad. And you're spending all this time and effort on it and you could be solving all of all of the real problems. It's kind of sad. It actually. is kind of sad. It's especially sad as someone who still reluctantly identifies as a Christian. <laughs> you, to, you almost choked when you yeah. said it. <laughs> I'm getting less choky about it because I, I wanted to leave it all. Yeah. And something told me I couldn't because the more people that do want to resist all the bullshit that leave it, there are fewer people inside fighting for- To change it. To change it. So, and I've- this has happened not just in my faith, but in other areas of life. Well, this country is one of them. I grew up outside the U.S. I was born in New York, grew up, my dad's a Guatemalan immigrant, grew up in Guatemala, traveled the world. I love the world more than I love this country. Mm-hmm. I don't have much allegiance to this country. And I've wanted to leave so many times in a rage. Uh, now, James Baldwin had much more reason to leave than I did do. But in that rage of like, I need to leave, you know, his whole reason was before I kill someone or before they kill me. And he, had, he literally had to flee for his life, for his own good to Europe to get out and see it from the outside. I want to do that so badly because this country is so backward. But me, my wife, my partner, my kids, everything in my life, my work keeps keeping me here because I do think that ultimately, even though it's very frustrating and it's hard to keep the long view in mind because this is a long game, right? Like you're, you're, don't, don't hear this wrong. You're never going to be out of a job. Correct. Because there will always be people opposing who you are. Correct. And so that's, that's what's wild about it is like, I could spend the rest of my life working every single day. You could spend the rest of your life working every single day and we will never see the fruits, the ultimate fruits of our labor. We'll see little clues along the way. We won't get to see, we won't get to fix the problem, whatever it is. Um, (laughs) You're an optimist. Is that what you're telling me? I'm trying. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm not an, I am, I am a, I'm trying to be an optimist because I believe Mm -hmm. it's the way. The people that I admire, past, present, the people that give, that the people that inspire me were hopeful people that in the face of, very little hope. It's very foggy. I can see a foot in front of my face. They still kept going. Yeah. So I would feel like if I went off to wherever, Europe or wherever, which every place has its problems. If I went there, I'd have a different set of problems. And I, I would feel like I was running. Sure. I would feel like I was running from, no, for some reason, the universe has you in this country. Fight. Fight for it to change. Um, All that to say, for better or for worse, I'm still here. Yeah, I completely agree. Everyone needs to make that decision for themselves, obviously. And there was a great wave of people saying, I'm going to move to Canada (laughs) in late 2016. And I certainly understand all that stuff. I'm a little bit different. I like America. I like it here. And I get kind of PO'd when the far right tries to own patriotism or tries yes. to own the idea that they're true Americans. And I'm an American too. I'm here. And I deserve to be here. And I have every right to be here. And someone who drove that home for me was someone I got the 
lovely chance to work with Elizabeth Warren. Mm. And, you know, I was working with her campaign, trying to help young people get excited to vote and, and change the world and, and all of that stuff. And to me, that's the American spirit too. And yes, lots, lots is wrong. <laughs> there is a lot, there is a lot that we currently do wrong. Yeah. And at the same time, the story of the country is something we, we write together. Have you heard of this book called um, The Other Divide? It is not about the divide between Republicans versus Democrats. It's about the divide between people who are politically active mm. and people who are not. And they tried to slice it a few different ways, but they could not come up with a percentage higher than 20% of people who are quote unquote politically active, meaning wow. who deeply care, who are going to run for something, who are going to be knocking on doors, who are going to be active in the way that you and I are active. That means there are a ton of people who live here who don't pay that much attention to this stuff. Yeah, we can barely get, I mean, the number of people that vote for the president, the highest office, mm -hmm. there are still tens of millions of people sitting at home. Yep. So what about all of these state, community, local positions that these bad people, bad people with bad intentions are getting in, they're yep. shoe-ins because no one's showing up to vote. Yep. Lauren Boebert's get to get in, you know, restaurant-owning, gun-toting, uh, you know, state of the union yelling, state of the union yelling. <laughs> yeah. Marjorie Taylor, those two, those knuckleheads, <laughs> but those people get in when we stay home. Yeah. Cause I guarantee you, I will not live where they live, where who, the precinct they live in and they, they kind of rule over, but I know there are enough people there that could have voted against them sure. and they stayed home. And I, again, I think that the tide is changing. People are seeing now the ramifications of not voting, but it is wild that this book, which I'm going to look up and, and get, couldn't find, no matter how they sliced it, couldn't find that many people that are politically active enough to change the tide on these huge issues. Yeah. And to put it another way, when people stay home, people like me die. I mean, it truly is wow. a life and death situation. And... There are just folks who can't get there. But I'll tell you something weird. About a third of my followers, so on some of the apps, it will delineate what the common interests are for people that follow you. Oh, sure, yeah. So it'll tell you, like, people are also interested in makeup, and they're also interested in this and that and the other thing. So about a third of the people who follow me are conservatives. Wow. It's about a third conservative, a third uh, liberal, and a third, you know, haven't said anything about it or independence or whatever. And I've all, I was always shocked by that. And for the longest time, I felt like, get out of here. I don't want you here, <laughs> you know, kind of energy because I've been treated so poorly by conservatives. But I'm actually proud of it in a way. Because yeah. there is something about what I do that it seems more universal. And I would hope, this is going to be an odd thing to say, but I hope that if you believe in something like small government, you wouldn't want the government telling parents how they should treat their trans kids. 
Yes. Yes. You wouldn't want a quote-unquote small government reaching down into the individual lives of people. Into the four walls of a home. Into the four walls of a room (laughs) with a doctor and a woman talking about what they're going to do. Right? The... There has to be a sense, or, or at least I, I, maybe I'm just helping myself feel better, but I choose to believe that there are a bunch of people who aren't on the extreme, who, who are not guided by hate every single day of their lives. I commend you for a third of your followers, which is not a small thing. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. Correct. Plus the, you know, the third that's not claimed, you know, moderates, independents, whatever they are. Libertarians. Still, <laughs> many of them lean yeah. right. Correct. So it probably more than a third if those people were to speak up and say, yeah, I, I think I definitely am center right or whatever. That's a huge feat. And I, I think I know, I have one clue as to why. Oh, I would love to hear it because I don't have a clue. I mean, I feel that I, uh, before you tell me, because I'm very excited, I feel like I have integrity. I mean, I'm never not, I have liberal values and I always have, and I state that very clearly, but I will get these comments. I'm, I'm, they always say just, which I, I don't like that they say just, but they'll say, I'm just a white lady from Kentucky and I, you know, I'm Christian and I'm conservative and I'm Southern and I'm traditional but I just love you. I love something about you. You know, and I, I, I've never understood it. So tell me. Well, I think it goes- <laughs> Change my life. I think it goes back. There's a couple couple different angles at what I'm getting at. One is your demeanor is inviting. Mm. I don't have, I'm getting that demeanor in my late 30s now. I'm working on it because I see, because I've seen what happens when I look at people that I think are adhering to horrible things. And I say, you're a fucking idiot. I I think it's still true that I think they're an idiot, but <laughs> what's going to happen there if I say that to them? Right. You voted for this. Look at look at how horrible you are. You know, kind of treat them like a disease. Like you need. I wish you would be cut off. And so I say that to them. They feel terrible. They also feel animosity toward me. Anybody watching that interaction, and that doesn't happen very often, but I do have moments where I lose my cool and it's terrible. But Everybody watching the interaction, if they're moderate to right, they are, that is not a good interaction. That is not inviting. That is not telling people, hey, you can go to Nick, talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Because Nick, even if Nick doesn't like what you're talking about, what you're doing, where you're putting your voting dollars, where you're putting your energy in the world, you're going to have a bad interaction with Nick. Um, I think it's your demeanor. I also think that you do this thing where you share, you know, you'll share like a comment, Mm -hmm. whether it's a screenshot from like a DM or you'll share it and then you'll respond to it. That tells that person and everybody else that might want to share something with you that you're a safe space because you're going to, you're not going to take shit from people. You, you do respond to it, but you respond in a way like I, how I treat my children, where even if they do something wrong, I will get down on their level and I will talk directly to them about X, Y, or Z. But they know that it's going to be, they're not going to get hit like I did growing up. They're not going to get spanked. We're talking through this. I'm going to treat you like a whole person. 
I'm going to tell you what you did was wrong. We're going to talk about why. I'm going to ask you what you think should happen from here on out and how you could change. And then you're always going to get a hug and a kiss at the end. Well, my kid's not going to hide stuff from me. Right. They're going to come to me, even when it hurts, to say, like, Dad, I'm in trouble. I need help with this. Like, right? That's what I'm hoping at 13, 14, 15. I'm in trouble. I did something. I'm feeling a certain way. I can come and talk to you about it versus what I grew up in, which was horrible fear that if I stepped out of line one centimeter, the hammer was going to come down. So I didn't tell anybody anything. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was mm. 30 yes. that I started talking openly with my dad once he had changed. Yeah. The universe, God changed my dad in his 50s to stop being the, vir- the monster that he was growing up. And now I'm 30-something, he's 60-something, we can talk, like really, like truly. And and I know that I'm going to get calm from him and I'm going to get a hug, right? So it's happening now later, but I want that to happen a lot sooner. So all that to say, yeah, I think it's because I think that is, a first of all, a feat to have that many people following you that don't agree with maybe even who you are, which is not up for debate. You are who you are, but they don't think that's real. They don't think this is how things should go. They're They're still following you. It's a vote of confidence. Some people follow people because they just want to, you know, journalists follow all kinds of people because they need to keep up with them. Normal everyday people don't need to follow you. They can just go look up your stuff so they can troll in, in the comments. That follow button is a vote of confidence. I certainly hope so. And it's an honor to me. You know, I went from seeing it as, get out of here. <laughs> I only want liberal followers, you know, years ago to it feeling like a vote of confidence. Yeah, like a sign of respect. And I feel compelled. I'm not quite sure why, but I feel compelled to say there, there are some times where I'm very direct and hold a firm boundary with people. Yeah, It's yeah. not about being a pushover. It Being inviting is not the same as being a pushover. I was really excited because when you were speaking, because my mom is a pastor. I grew up in a Christian household, a very, very Christian household. Not just church on Sunday, but participating throughout the week, that kind of household. And the comment that used to be upsetting to me the most was, you remind me of Jesus. People would literally say that to me. And the interesting thing is when I would press them, say a little bit more, what do you mean? What are you saying? Exactly what about me? You know, they would come back with you. You remind me of the Jesus that I was told exists when I was a kid. Mm. Childhood Jesus. Mm. The promise of Jesus, right? That's who you remind me of. Which again, that's that's not to, I almost said that's not to brag, but nah, maybe it is. Because that what a compliment. It's a, I mean, it's a huge compliment. That I would represent unconditional love. That That's that, it. You know, that yep. people, even if they're conservative and they've been told the worst things about people like me, they click, they smash that follow button because there's unconditional love there and they can recognize it. I hope it's true. How did how how do the interactions go after like as they share? What, what do you say back to them? Do you try to redirect that or do you just sit in that reality of, that's fine. I'm fine being told that I remind them of Jesus. 
Yeah. I mean, it used to be very complicated because the church was so cruel to me. And I was, I, I literally remember being told as a little kid, if you don't change, you're not going to heaven. Jesus yeah. finds you disgusting. I mean, it's just, the, I care as a six, seven year old, I carried the weight of Jesus being disgusted by me mm. Mm. Whew, for years. So that it's a, it was a complicated thing to be told that. But now I have done so much work through Buddhism, which we can talk about, not needing to feel the weight of other people's projections, good or bad. So being okay with what people see and not needing to necessarily defend or come back or rearrange or have an agenda myself. So when they say that, yeah, sitting with it is absolutely fine because I think they see the goodness. And by the way, you know, trick of the universe, it's their goodness. I'm a mirror, but guess what's being reflected in the mirror? You are. Mm, I like that. Your Jesusness, in other words, is being reflected back to you. Were your parents, your family, supportive growing up? Uh, tell me, tell me how <laughs> supportive. Tell me, uh, tell, me <clears throat> tell me the progression and and what brand of Christianity was this that you grew up in in the Christian church? Uh, Lutheran. Lutheran. So very close to if. If people aren't familiar with Lutheranism, Lutheranism very close to Catholicism. It was the first to break away. And um, conservative. Uh, I also grew up in the middle of Pennsylvania. And the church that I ended up going to in high school was also the the clan met in the basement. So it was the Like space. actively or just in the past? They had their, I, I can't remember if it was like weekly or monthly, but oh my while I was there as a kid. Oh my God. It, it was also the place where the local chapter of would come and meet. And um, the church was not affirming of me. I, I'm going to answer with a very weird question. And I think the answer is No because of, you know, what I know about your past and the timeline of, of you growing up. Mm -hmm. Did your dad go to Vietnam? No. I see my, my father did and never once talked about it ever. Mm. Mm. And I think, so obviously with your childhood, it's possible to have not gone to Vietnam and still be an abusive person. Right. But I think the things that he saw, what happened to him, the PTSD that told, went completely, <laughs> completely untreated or unacknowledged even. And coming back after having fought in a war that people didn't like, society didn't approve of and, and, you know, was unpopular. And all of that together, I think, really, really did a number on him and it was untreated. And then he had no skills when I was such a rainbow, delightful kid and um, was, you know, wearing mom's clothes and, and dancing around. And I'll tell you that he did have a version of Vietnam and I'll tell yeah, you what, tell me. so my dad was born in Guatemala Yeah. and it was, he was born into the beginning of a 30 something year civil war. Mm. So he was born in a virtual war zone, just the military versus the guerrillas up in the mountains. And there was the, the kidnappings and murders and all sorts of stuff. 
He also, his dad was in the military. He's a military doctor, very abusive. Mm. Classic generational hurt people, hurt people. Dad was an alcoholic, very abusive, would leave for months at a time, not just for work, but also just to drink and do whatever. And he left. He essentially told his mom, my grandmother, I'm out of here. I don't want to be around dad. I don't want to be in this country. It's terrible. I'm going to live in the States with some long lost uncle. Yeah. You send me there or I go on my own. You know, I'm not going to make it if I go on my own. It's a dangerous drug cartel country. So they flew, flew him to the States and he started a life here. And then they eventually, they eventually all came over. And then, so there was a, there was a lot of, there was a lot of battles going on in his life. Mm. Right. Yep. And then fast forward a couple, he got into a bunch of trouble here, was involved in, you know, gang life, all sorts of stuff in upstate New York. And then a very, very fundamentalist conservative Christian group Mm. shared the gospel with him, proselytized my father, and he prayed the prayer and converted. I wish for anything that it would have been I'm fine with the whole Christian thing. Again, I adhere to that faith still, even in my 30s. But it was the kind, the brand of Christianity that he was uh, introduced to. As this is this is what Christianity looks like. This is how Jesus wants us to live. This is God's plan for the world. And it was very, I mean, my dad was kind of a rough looking dude when he quote unquote got saved. Super long hair. This was the 70s. And when he met the group of dudes in the church, the guys in the church for the first time for this like men's prayer meeting, they didn't ask, how are you? They didn't ask, who are you? Mm. They didn't say, how can we help? They said, men don't have long hair in this church. Cut your hair. If you want to be a man of God, cut your hair. So I could keep going with the stories, but it's a, it's a version of that where there was a lot of actual physical war going on yeah, and also just turmoil. And all throughout, the adults failed him, whether it was his parents, the people he came to live with, and then the adults in the church that he became a part of. It was all, fix your shit, man. Like, look the part, and you'll be good with Jesus. Now, twice you've said, hurt people, hurt people, which is a very popular phrase. Yeah. And I have two reactions for you. Go. We've both been hurt. We're not abusers. Yes. So when people intone that phrase, I, I pray that they don't mean universally. No. And also, at this point, who cares? I don't... When I was a kid, it makes me think of... So I'll, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. When I was a kid, I needed for the abuse that I was getting to make sense so that the reason wasn't that I was horrible, that there was something wrong with me. I needed there to be an outside reason, an excuse why I was getting hit so that the reason wasn't you are way too LGBTQ, you're way too sparkly, there's something disgusting about you. And so, yeah, one of the reasons I came up with was, well, my dad's parents did it to him. And that's the reason why. And to me, it's just a bit of a distraction and a goose chase because you don't have to have a reason. 
There is no reason for it. Violence is so often senseless and chaotic. And for sure, once you work through internally that the reason was never that there is something wrong with you, then to me, the quote-unquote real reason why is kind of immaterial. Just hold abusers accountable and just just stop. It's so true. It is as simple as that. You know? Yeah, it's, 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 it doesn't matter. I don't care why so, you're doing it. Yeah. Just, just We don't stop. do that here, <laughs> you know? Your book, How to Be You. Yes. At what point? The bestseller. It is a bestseller, and I want to get to talk about it more fully because <laughs> I want everybody that is listening to go buy it. The audiobook came out last year, right? Correct. And yeah. then I also see that, so this was, you wrote the book or it was published in 2016, 17, mm-hmm. and then Barnes & Noble like brought it back in 2019, 20, something like that? Correct. A yep. special edition. Special edition. Yep. Which is a rare thing. I mean, I know the kinds of books, they make special editions, and they brought your book back, which is huge. Correct, yeah. So how to be you? When was, at what point in your life did you feel fully you for the first time? Birth. Birth. It's really interesting because so many people, and you, you, you would never fall into this trap, but you know, when I do like uh, daytime TV, morning show kind of interview kind of feel all the time, they'll ask when did you know you were different? Yeah. And I, I just feel like I want to reach across and <laughs> grab them, snatch them. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I never was different. You know, fundamentally, the point being, fundamentally, I'm a human being. So when did I feel fully me? From birth. Society told me that was trash. Society was wrong. I tried for years to cover it up, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I don't look at it like, there were times when I felt like me and not like me. It just always was like, I was me and navigating that and was given zero ways to feel good about it. Yeah. You know? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, and I, I guess when I'm asking that, and that makes total sense, and I I can understand how you want to, when those questions are asked. I, I'm, I'm not talking about you. No, 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 totally. But I want, <laughs> no, no, I understand. Because I, I know you know where I'm coming from. I want to go, I guess what I'm asking is, and, and I'm asking more for people listening because I think there is this idea that you can't, while you're being abused or while you're being told that you're not who you really are, that you don't feel truly you. And yep. you're saying, no, even in the midst of the, uh, the verbal slaps in the face about who I am, the, the people that should be supporting who you are, not supporting who you are, you still felt, I'm me. I can't, I'm not, I can't change that. Not going to change that. I'm super happy with who I am regardless of, because a lot of people don't think kids can, I think part of the reason these stupid bills come up is because people are like, you're going to ruin the kids. Like they can't make that decision when they're young. (laughs) But I just met, you know, this wonderful human yesterday, Rochelle and her five-year-old gender fluid child Mm -hmm. who fully knows who they are. Yep. Why? Who told people, you know, who was the first person, who was the first expert to say, kids can't feel that young. Wait till they're adults and they can make that decision. Like somewhere along the line, somebody told a bunch of people and they told a bunch of people. And now it's common knowledge that kids, you can't let a kid decide who they are. (laughs) And yet, straight people go around asking five-year-olds, are you boyfriend and girlfriend? Isn't that wild? 
right? I mean, we acknowledge that who people are is intrinsic from a very, very young age. I was very LGBTQ in kindergarten. I got in trouble because I would steal for dress up. I would take all the dresses. I wouldn't put them on because I knew I wasn't supposed to, but I would steal them because I felt if I couldn't, nobody else could. (laughs) And that was kindergarten. Yeah. It's, um, it's complicated, right? So, you know, talking about it on a podcast and just coming out with one sentence to describe my childhood, like that's, so I did try for years to, I wouldn't say not be who I am. I tried to hide who I am for sure to be safe Mm. because I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. And I just throughout my childhood had the overwhelming feeling that I, I, to, to be totally frank and honest, I thought, was I born on Mars? Am I like the only, this makes no sense, but that is very different than what am I, you know, Yeah. which is the narrative people want to hear about growing up LGBTQ. I never, I never felt that way. Did you, when you switched, I'm using air quotes for those listening and not watching. When you switched from (laughs) Christian to Buddhist, how was, what was that transition like? (laughs) Like, were you ever like a fully committed Christian or were you like, no, I guess this is what I am. And it was an easy thing to say. And it was easy for you to say, yeah, it's not actually me. I actually really am attracted to this way of living. Or was it a hard thing? Like, what was that like? I was the most Christian Christian that you could ever encounter because it was one of the easiest ways, easiest ways to manipulate adults into thinking I was straight. Oh, so true. If I could be like, you know, somebody said something about judgment. Well, Matthew 7, 1, okay, let me give you the, (laughs) of course I'm like (laughs) uh, gesturing and my voice gets very LGBTQ when I talk about it. But, you know, (laughs) if I could have the Bible verse ready, my hope was people would think, oh, Jeffrey can't be, you know, that way. Because Jeffrey is just so great at, you know, everything. I would like the pastor. I, I, I think you can probably tell I'm a very high achiever to this day. And that was on overdrive. I would, I would like offer to give the homily if the pastor wasn't there and they, you know, talk about how Jesus had changed my life and et cetera, et cetera. So I was extra credit, high achiever Christian. And what was it about Buddhism that made, I mean, as an extra achiever, what was it about Buddhism where you said, I'm going to forsake this? Because, because like it or not, our religious upbringings are so woven into who we are so much so <laughs> that <think>? now <laughs> i i tried so hard to leave this is five six yeah. years ago i left i was i was most of my jobs were not in the church but church adjacent mm-hmm. for most of my career until five years six years ago when i became self-employed and i tried so hard to leave just because i was like if i'm gonna stay in it i want to know that I tried every which way to leave it, yeah. meaning that for better or for worse, this is a part of who I am and I want to fight for it. But it's so, I mean, especially again, maybe not especially as a, as someone who grew up Christian, I mean, same thing. It was not just Sundays. My parents volunteered for everything. We were in a church building 
five times a week, six times a week. And then we were missionaries. The reason we went mm. back to Guatemala mm. because my dad wanted to uh, go save, you know, the people that, his people that he grew up yeah. with, that he was born into. And so we moved there for 10 years. And then they moved to Honduras for five years after I left the home. Like, it was very much a part of who I am. So how did that happen for you? Because if it was like Christian to whatever, like evangelical to Catholic, okay, that's an easy transition or these other adjacent religions, but Buddhism, there's some similarities, but it's pretty, pretty different. Oh, sure. Yeah. How did that happen? I'm very interested. Uh, I walked into, <laughs> I walked into a bookstore and um, I was drawn, magnetized by this bookstore. I was living in Philadelphia at the time and they had quote unquote spiritual stuff, which was very um, of Satan <laughs> when I was growing up. Right, it's like, like Christian, don't it's go there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, things like crystals and stuff like that. It was like, that's Satan. Don't, don't be taken in. Um, but I always was sort of magnetized to that. And I decided to go into the bookstore and I was in my twenties and I had gone through college and I don't know, looking back, if you would ask me, would I, if, if you would ask me, are you a Christian? I don't know what I would have said because I didn't, I wasn't going to church or anything like that after I left home, but I hadn't fully swung into like F Christianity, you know, kind of attitude either. Went into this bookstore, saw from across the room, a book called there is nothing wrong with you. Just, it was front facing, uh, and a butterfly on the cover. And my brain started going into overdrive. Of course, there's something wrong with you. Here's the list. It's mm. this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. But while my brain was go was arguing with this book co book cover, my feet were already moving. Boop, 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 right over to that book. And it ended up, you know, I bought it. I read it. It was written by this woman who ran a Zen monastery in, in uh, the Bay Area. And I ended up going to live there and spent time studying with that monastery for over 20 years. And I suppose in a way, as far as like sense of community, substitute the word life for God. I mean, there are some analogs for, for Christianity. Yeah. I was going to ask like what feels similar and what, what feels better slash superior about your previous experience in Christianity? Well, one thing I, I can tell you is that systemic stuff I was, I was lucky enough to study with a woman who was the guide of the monastery. Oh, yeah. And that didn't happen in Christianity. My mom became a pastor, but that was when I was already, you know, senior in high school. And so I didn't grow up as a young, young kid with women as religious leaders. So that was different. And she was able to fold into what it was like to live under misogyny uh, as, as part of that training what is very different is, you know, nobody's ever asked, asked it that way before. It's a good question. What is different is in, in Christianity, you're always doing something. It's so true. You're improving, you're praying, you're, you're getting in touch, you're, Next you're serving, you're, you're whatever. And Buddhism is the absence of doing being you could say that <laughs> maybe not 
Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes actually, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect yeah. example. So I coach people mm-hmm. and I, people find it very difficult to start a meditation practice because they think they must clear their mind. And they're shocked when I say, I studied with a monastery for 20 years. Not one person told me to clear my mind ever. Mm. And we would do session, which is a form of, you know, medit- meditating all day long. You know, so we, we, there are times when, when I've meditated for hours and hours on end, and it's never about clearing your mind. It is more about accepting those times, being kind to yourself, seeing how the mind happens, even when it is going 100 miles an hour. But to me, that, that feels like a very Western kind of Christian kind of approach that I need to have some sort of state in order to be the religious kind of something, achiever. I feel like um, over the years, I have, so again, still a Christian, very, I guess, unique hodgepodge version of it. Mm-hmm. I've also been very attracted to stoicism sure because as someone who my whole life and career and hopefully legacy is helping people give a damn helping people live a meaningful life and that could mean a lot of different things it does mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people and there's always something as a high achieving enneagram eight like (laughs) off the charts extrovert (laughs) relational person with extreme adhd there is always something to fix and do. And I've learned a lot from the Stoics, as problematic as Stoicism can be, as problematic as every religious adherence can be, that focusing on what I can control and not focusing on what I can't is the way. Because if I keep focusing on things I can't, which is a lot in life, a lot of these big problems we've talked about, I can't change that. So how about focus on the things that I can? Um, it's been really helpful. So I've, I, I've, I've been, which I never would have thought that I would even think this way growing up. It's like, no, you're one thing. You're a Christian. And now I'm like, yeah, not so sure. I'm also a universalist. So whatever the afterlife looks like, I think everybody gets in. You get in. I get in. Jeffrey Epstein gets in. Donald Trump gets in. It might take them multiple lifetimes of reincarnation to get to a state where they can get in, but everybody gets in. Mm. I can't follow a God, a deity that throws some into a hellfire and then the others of us get in and it's this constant like, nope, you're left, you're right. Like you're going down the, the bad chute and you're going up the good stairs. And so I've been like really trying, I mean, yeah, as you're describing Buddhism, I'm like- People going to hell don't get stairs. They just- (laughs) No, they get a slide. Yeah, they get a slide because you've got to go quickly. We get to climb the stairs slowly to heaven. Um, Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) man, I need to learn. I want to look more at Buddhism because I think there's some things that I can bring into my already ever-changing and already, you know, orbiting sort of religious ecosystem. Well, I'll tell you something else that I never realized- and um, was completely changed Buddhism for me, and this was years after I had started with the monastery. There's, uh, we don't have a, a god or a deity or any of that stuff, but there are 
in, in the version that, that I studied, Zen Buddhism. It is, uh, we do have stories, fables and, and, you know, ways to talk about things in a metaphorical way. And so there's this figure called Guan Yin, who's a bodhisattva. And bodhisattva is just a, you know, long word to mean somebody who stays outside, and this is all metaphorical, of course, somebody who stays outside of nirvana and points at it and just helps everybody in and is like the last person at the door to nirvana and like looking around, everybody in? Okay, I'll go in. Just somebody who helps people get to the next thing. And in all the stories, Guan Yin is something or someone different. So Mm. morphs into, literally morphs into different genders to help people get toward where they need to go. And so there are actually 2,000-year-old statues of Guan Yin with boobs and That look totally different. Interesting. There are statues that are just like genderless angel kind of vibes. Statues as man, statues as a woman, and it's all the same entity. And so that kind of thread, that kind of acknowledgement of how all of us have are so rich, that's something that that is really magnetizing. Because the version of Christianity I had was, you need to be this thing, and if you're not, you're going down the chute. Not the stairs. <laughs> you don't get those stairs. Speaking of gender and genderless uh, beings, let's pivot a little bit to just society. Go outside, walk around. <laughs> People need to find the video you pointed just out pointing the window. Out the window here. We're sit- we're sitting in Hollywood. We're right next to Paramount Studios. Society. Just, just society. Hollywood. Look at them. Look at them out there. No, but we have we live in a society that is changing, and I'm hopeful but they, we have gendered everything. Deodorant. Everything. Razors. Razors, deodorant, <laughs> clothes, toys, bathrooms, um, so many different things. And there is a movement that I'm sure you do. Men's I, wipes. Men's wipes. You can't buy the generic wipes. You got to be masculine. Yeah, you got, right. And it's all about the scent on it, right? And the scent is like <laughs> a pine like- tree or like a log or... <laughs> a campfire, whatever a it is, right? Something, yeah. So we've we've done ourselves a, a grave disservice over the decades and centuries by gendering everything. And- On the binary. On the binary, it's right. It's not just gender. No, no, it's not, you're, it you're right. You're either right. or It's either or, it's two. Yeah. Two different kinds of people in the world, fuck everybody else, like you're out, it's these two, and if you're not that, right? So it's, as conservatives and as people, well, conservatives and people that are open to changing as they walk around, they're constantly reminded, you're constantly reminded that I don't fit into this society out here because when I sure. go to the bathroom, I have to choose one or the other. So it's, I think it's, I'm not going to say, is it important that we start changing these things? That's obvious that we, and we're seeing these incremental changes, but tell me, just riff on that for a minute about what use as you go out there. Cause I know it pisses me off, but I'm a guy, I'm a guy I identify as a man. I'm a guy. I go out there and I, so I just naturally go into the guy's bathroom. Did you bathroom. just say it? I identify as a man. I did. Isn't that funny? It is funny. It is funny. Because in this I context, am a man. that's yeah. what we say. But yeah. it's not. But you're not. You're a man. Yeah. You don't identify as. Yeah. I don't buy the wipes. I listen to musical theater. I 
I cry all the time. So I'm like, what's the best musical ever written? Ever written? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to throw down right now. Are we talking? Okay. So ever written, not even like past or present. In the history, all the way back to operetta. Oh God. Um, I know the answer. You know the answer. So if we're talking like, like 25, 30 years ago, um, Hello Ooh. Dolly is on rotation. You're caveating your answer. I know. I know I am because there's so many. Okay, I didn't give you about that option. This? You didn't. You tell me first so I can see what I'm up against. Because I have, I have past and present. That's hard. That's a good question now. So what's the answer? Without a doubt, by far, I majored in musical theater. I know. I spent time studying. Okay. Gypsy. Oh. Best crafted. Ethel Merman was the biggest star. Sondheim. Sure. Jewel Stein. Best score. Boom. I have listened. Hello, Dolly adjacent, by the way. Similar period. I've listened, but not, I would say that as my love for musical theater has grown, it's what we spend most of our money on. We live in New York, so like it's right down, I mean, we live in Manhattan. We just do date nights and go see a show. Um, As my love has grown over the years, it probably, actually it started when I met my uh, partner Rebecca 15 years ago. I didn't grow up in a house that appreciated musical theater. Grew up overseas, just a very like different world altogether. And she was like, you've got to hear Wicked. And I was like, that was my first introduction really was like listening through the Wicked soundtrack. Then we went to see Wicked in New York when we got engaged. And it's been ever since then, it's been, it's all we listen to at home. Like we just play different musicals, everything from like the silly fun ones, like SpongeBob, the musical, uh-huh. which is amazing yeah. by the way. Um, you know, we've, we've gone to see, you know, all the Dear Evan Hansen and come from away, a lot of the, you know, more modern ones. And we've seen Phantom and all that. I, so all that to say was years ago when I listened to Gypsy and haven't revisited as my love and appreciation for this craft. So I will today, it's going to happen today. Later on today, I will listen through. Go for it. Here, I'm going to get high and listen to Gypsy. Ooh, I love that. See where it goes. And I'll report back. But I trust you. It is a it is an intimate portrait of psychosis in the sense that right now it feels incredibly relevant to me because we're all going through the who am I question. Yeah. It was the, you know, going into the pandemic. If I'm just the we ended up, it's so beautiful. We ended up with a with so many he they's and she they's because people were realizing if I'm only performing my gender in a square for Zoom, what does that what does that mean? And all of us they thems and non-binary activists, we were like, uh, hello, we've been saying this forever. So, you know, to have people join, um, to have people join is fun. But anyway, now the pandemic is sort of feeling like it might be over. And if there's not another wave, then we might be getting back to some sort of like, what? What do Mm. we want to get back to, right? And so there's this anxiety about, uh, do I have to go back to the way things were? I don't want to and and stuff like that. But anyway, you had a question before we started talking about musicals. That's that's great. I guess my- About society? Yeah. So my question was through your lens as you- walk around and drive around and go to restaurants and go to shops and go to shows and think about returning to some normalcy. Um, How do you feel in this 
binarily gendered world that we live in? And are you hopeful that things are changing at a at a pace that is that feels hopeful, I guess? Because, you know, it can be, change can be happening, but at a non-hopeful, like this is dragging out pace. Do you think things are changing at an appropriate pace? Oh, gosh, no. I mean, of course not. Inherently, people aren't binary. I mean, the that's the thing that I keep coming back to that we have going for us. You would be hard-pressed to find someone who is so far right, so conservative, that would, that would say, it's, uh, nah. <laughs> I think of Rick Scott. Rick Scott, <laughs> you had to ruin it with that 11-point plan. But, you know, I, in general, I think you, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who would say, it's God's plan that women load the dishwasher, right? That used to be a thing, but you would be hard-pressed to find somebody who's, who would go that far. So, right, even the conservative friends that I know wouldn't, don't right? think that way. It's yeah. th- that women are bad at math, and that's genetic, <laughs> you know? Is it, ew, it, it, nobody's going there anymore. Almost nobody's going there anymore. So we all know that onion rolls are better than gender rolls. <laughs> but can we get to the point where we acknowledge that 7.8% billion human beings that an animal population is not going to be sorted into two boxes Mm. behaviorally disposition or biologically genetically there are conditions and i don't know if you meant to go down this rabbit hole but please wherever it goes anything that a scientist or a layperson can come up with that means gender and we all know what the list is, genitalia, um, breast tissue, hormones, um, chromosomes, right? We all know what that list is. Anything you can come up with, there are human beings who are not on one side or the other of that thing. Mm. And actually, a lot of them, the percentages are not nothing. So I bring that up to say that's what we have going for us. You will never, (laughs) I'm about to make an absolutist statement. I hope this is true. You will never find me arguing whether trans people are valid or not. That is not the conversation. Sure. That's a given. There's a lot to talk about. But if somebody comes at me with, you know, debate me (laughs) on Newsmax whether trans people are valid or not, I'm going to be talking about something else. Yeah. Speaking of Newsmax um, and media, well, thank you. I mean, there's so much I can get in there. I I want to, there's more I want to hit before we wrap up. Yes. But thank you for sharing that because how you see the world when you go out is obviously mm. different than mine. And I'm just interested in it because I, as I think about, I want to make a statement that hopefully won't come out wrong. And the statement is, this is the best time ever in history to be gender fluid, non-binary, trans, whatever. Without Because a doubt. there are more people that are accepting of it and wanting to move society and culture forward. Sometimes it hurts me so much. I like hurt myself. It's like I, I have a moment when I think about the past and I think about how many amazing humans suffered 
died mm-hmm. by suicide or by being killed because they, and this is outside of sexuality too, the whole race thing, right? Like nobody can control it. They're black or brown or whatever. Mm-hmm. And how many people have we killed or forced them to take their own life because we just couldn't take them at their word and we couldn't right. accept who they said that they are or who they visibly were if it's a black or a brown person. I don't want to dwell in the past when I, as I live life. I want to be hopeful in the future, but it really is. Like, have you ever done that? Have you ever thought about your predecessors that... My transcestors? Transcestors. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that have gone... I mean, they, they didn't have... They didn't have I want to talk in a second about this social media following that you've built that you're using so wide. They didn't have that. They were alone and they died alone and they died never, they died who they were, but because of outside forces, maybe never came to the terms that you've come to and the boldness that you've come to. Yeah. I'll say it a different way. The thing we have on our side is the truth. That's what I have on my side. Yeah. No matter what anybody else thinks about it. The wonderful thing that you bring up, and I think you were, maybe we should specify, you were talking about Western cultures, Western right? culture, yes. Because there are pre, pre-Western cultures, pre the landing of Columbus, we'll be specific, you know, who, who accepted gender variants and gender different people. Yes. And, you know. So in modern Western culture, it's the best time to be alive, to be gender fluid for many reasons. It stinks for a lot of reasons, too. Yeah. And we're in this place. The only way that I could be supremely kind to myself, which is what I'm most interested in doing, is to let myself off the hook for, quote unquote, representing non-binary people, for having this pressure to do it correctly. And ironically, that gave me a little space and freedom to show people a full, hopefully, fuller picture of what it's like to be one of us. And I think conservatives follow me because there's a lot we have in common. Yeah. That we're not encouraged to think about. Which is why your platform is so, I think, helpful and special. So you've been, you, you, you've been on and are on all the social, you know, all the major social media platforms. <laughs> I was famous on Vine. Yeah, you were named Long Viner ago. of the Year, right? By CB. Like, that's a big deal. Man, I, I miss Vine. I feel like Vine was, well, I think TikTok is a, TikTok is, TikTok's my favorite social media platform. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to, I shouldn't say it's so easy. It is the easiest of all of them to grow a platform, to say what you want to say, to share things. And it, it just has a more mature feel than Vine. But Vine was so special. So you have now accumulated millions of followers on the major platforms. Um, how does that feel? <laughs> Not like I don't being have anything famous, to compare it to, it feels but like, like me. but how does it feel to the, like what when you when you record a video? A lot mm-hmm. of your stuff, most of your stuff is videos because you are such a great communicator. A lot of stuff is videos. When you're pushing publish to on TikTok on Instagram. How do you feel? Do you feel the weight of what you're putting out there? Do you feel you don't? No. Tell me about that. And I have I have purposefully sidestepped it. You know, I met I mentioned it earlier. I've purpose purposefully given myself 
And I don't know if you've encountered this in maybe your own personal therapy sessions, but the hallmark of a traumatized child is never letting yourself make a mistake. Mistakes were stolen from me Mm. when I was a kid. It was the end of the world if I made the tiniest little mistake. I took what my parents did to me and made it an internal process. And part of that, and and did it more enthusiastically than even they did, I think. Wow. You know, self-hate is what I'm talking about. Yeah. But part of that is holding myself to the supreme standard. And I'll I'll tell you one other thing that's that's part of it in case it's helpful for anyone listening, false accusations and being misunderstood. So when I was a kid, if I was five years old, I couldn't find my shoe and it was time for church, I was making them late on purpose. Yeah. How could that. you do this to me? I remember that. You're doing this on purpose. And so that seared into my psyche. Whenever I was misunderstood, I felt like I was five years old. Do you know how often someone gets misunderstood on the internet? (laughs) Every single video. Every single video. Right? So every time I publish something, it's going to get used by somebody as something that it's not. Every single time. And that was one of the hardest things. But once I let myself off the hook, it's like, oh. Oh, oh, that's okay. I didn't mean that, but that, you know, you think I did? Well, fine, right? Making mistakes publicly mm-hmm. and and not feeling the weight of that. Mm-hmm. That's a great point about like, man, I remember three quarters of the beatings that I got were because you're, you're doing this to mess hurt with my me. public image yeah. to hurt me Ooh, mess with my public image that's it right there dude i yep. 12 kids my dad my parents had 12 kids mm. we were the fucking standard of a family take mm. your 12 kids to go to guatemala and save the world nothing could taint that image mm. and he wasn't going to let that happen again i love my dad he's so different now it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful relationship we have back then it was fucking hell Right down the chute. Right down the chute. Isn't that ironic? You're afraid of being sent down the chute, but oops, you're already down the chute. <sighs> yeah, hell is hell is not an afterlife thing. It happens right here all the time. A lot of people are there now. A lot of people yeah. are there now. Um, I love that though about what happens though. And again, we're we're I'm I'm confirming with you and for you over and over again why your platform is what it is, why conservatives follow you, why liberals follow you, why people in the middle that don't know who they are follow you. It's because you're not putting out this pristine, perfect image. It's because when somebody calls you gross in the comments, you share that in a fo- in your video and say, I love you and I'm sorry for whatever you're going through. And obviously something is there and I care, right? People don't respond that way when they're called gross or called stay away from the kids or hope you never have a fam. All the things, all the mm-hmm. things that you've been told. And then you respond with, I love you. Like that is, yeah, it's just constantly, it's not worrying about the mistakes you're going to make. It's actually putting them forward, putting yourself out there, not second guessing, really just living out the truth and kind of just letting the chips fall where they fall. And it seems how they're falling in your world is that they're, it's falling mostly in the right places in that 
yeah, you're getting all the right people, which is everybody to peek in on what you're going through, what you're thinking. Um, yeah, I, I rarely find anyone that has built the platform as well as yours, however intentionally or unintentionally that's been. I just try to stick to what I like and have some integrity. The you you made me think of how chaotic and senseless violence often is. Mm. And we could look to global events, but we could also look to personal events in my life and yours that it's just senseless. And so what I try to do with hate and some of my most popular videos are hopefully, fingers crossed, performing this kind of alchemy, this kind of transformation of taking hate and transforming it into something that is helpful and useful. And something that the collective community can understand about themselves. And that to me is really fulfilling because that heals my childhood. Because little Jeffrey was back there, it making no sense. And the only sense that little Jeffrey could make was there's something wrong with me. That's why I'm getting hit. That's why I, I, my mom's in a bad mood, right? That's why, that's why. Because I'm terrible. Yeah. Not true. Not true. And yet I have a thousand memories still running yeah. around in my head of feeling that. Yeah. Experiencing that. Many people do. Yeah. And they don't like work through it. They just take it out on other people. Yeah. In Texas. In Florida. Montana. What's <laughs> you want to list other? Yeah, I, I could just I could just keep listing <laughs> all, all the them. states that I would never move to and that I think are need lots and lots of help. Every state need lots and lots of help, but there are some that need it more than others. What's next for you? Like, is it more of the same? Is it more just keep every day helping people, loving people, posting content, working through what the feedback you're getting from people and then putting out videos and ideas? Or is there something else? Is there something addition, not else, but additional that you're building in this world of yours? Yes, yes, yes. All yes, of the above. Yes. Uh, cause I say, yes, first of all, um, people like me are not usually given a chance to speak. So first thing I need to say is thank you to you specifically. Mm. That's not a, you know, it's not a global statement. That's not a metaphor. Thank you to you, uh, for having me here today to hold this microphone. If people want to seek out the video where where I, people like me are not usually literally holding the mic and given a chance to speak. So I cannot ever take for granted anything that I've, the platform I have, the chance, you know, to be on national TV, the book that I wrote, the, you know, I, there's no way that I could take for granted that those things happened because they're not supposed to happen to people like me. Mm. So that's the first thing that needs to be said. Number two, I'm pitching a TV show. I'm writing a second book. There are ways that I want to certainly keep going, and I certainly have more to say. I love it. So jeffreymarsh.com is 
the best place. <laughs> you can Google lot, me. Google yeah, me, baby. Just literally, just Google Jeffrey Marsh and all the stuff will come up. The Instagram, the everything. Um, this wanna, podcast episode. This podcast. And people should, if you're listening on audio, which most people do, we're just starting to do more video stuff. You should seek out the video on the YouTubes because I look like I always look and Jeffrey looks fabulous. Um, thank you for, because you, because people like you haven't traditionally been given a microphone, I'm sure there's hesitation from people like you to pick up the microphone for fear of what might come when they pick up the microphone. And it seems like- I'm not you, afraid of you. Yeah. And I, it's, <laughs> it sounds like, it seems like you, as your story in life have evolved, you've said, who cares what happens when I pick up the microphone? I've been graciously given the microphone. Let's use it. Uh, I don't mean to be a bummer at the end of the podcast. You usually like to lift people up as you're saying goodbye. But even if someone kills me and they threaten to do uh, uh, a lot, I'm not going to stop because there are a bunch of people in my emails talking about the Second Amendment and how much they love it. We didn't get to talk about your partner who I've never, I've <laughs> never amazing. met. That's I, an up note. Right yeah, there. that is an up yeah. note. No, but I think it all goes, to, no, I, sure. That's a bummer to talk about, but it's, it's a reality. Let's end this conversation on With a heavy note a because note? it is a yeah. real note for you as you live, walk around, go yeah. out in public, yeah. that there could be somebody following you, stalking you, wanting to do harm to you. Again, not because of a crime you've committed, not because you're a bad person, because you're being simply who you are. It's fucked up. It's crazy. Um, but as you get these, let's one more last question, yeah. just bringing your partner in here at the end. If you don't follow Jeffrey, go go look at Jeffrey's Instagram. Every 10 or 15 posts is one with your partner in it. Correct. And there's such a tenderness and a love between the two of you. It's really, really great. But yeah, as you're dealing with death threats and the complications of living, you know, of living the life and the career that you have, how do you work through that with what is, give us a peek into that relationship. It seems very tender. It seems like there's a lot of love and deference and I understand you and I'm here for you. But is that, is that the true picture behind the scenes, behind the curtain? Yeah. I mean, it's not faked for Instagram, yeah. if that's what you mean. And I wouldn't be able to survive without him. Yeah. His name is also Jeff. Um, Cause we're Jeff and Jeffrey. We're cute. And he is the prominent representation of unconditional love in my life. And I'll tell you a funny little story. I tried to get rid of him. Really? Oh, yeah. Because I was, a, we've been dating for, we got married. So we're, we're husband and, and they friend. And they. And, but when we were first dating 11 and a half years ago, I thought, you know, boring, ugh, this guy, you know, because I was a traumatized child and I could not recognize what I deserved. Mm -hmm. And I literally tried to sabotage. <laughs> he could tell you some stories, but tried to get rid of him because I would have rather have been dating someone who was abusive. It was a retread of my dad, mm. right? That's what felt like a relationship to me. And thank goodness that he was persistent. <laughs> That's really great. I well, I wanted to. I want. I want to tell you just a 
one more tiny little yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I had gone to the monastery and um, I came out and was going back because you, you know, go live there sometimes. You go back out to the world, you go live there sometimes. And so I had been there and then I was coming back out and I was going to start dating again. This is just before we started dating. And I knew that I was, that I had horrible taste. I knew that I was trying to replay my relationship with my dad. And I was like, okay, let me do the Buddhist thing. I'm going to sit in meditation and I'm, then I'm going to write a list of 10 things I want in a partner. And it was, you know, like somebody who wasn't mean to me, somebody who was, you know, into physical, taking care of their body, right? Somebody who appreciated my art and would support my career and stuff like that. Just this general list of 10 things. And I said, anybody who has those 10 things gets three dates. Hmm. We went on our first date. He had all 10 things. I hated his guts. I thought he was boring. I was like, get rid of this guy. But I had made a pact. But by the third date, I was charmed a little bit. And I was like, well, let's try a fourth. And so here we are, 11 and a half years later. 11 and a half years later. Well, congrats on 11 and a half years. I hope there's many more. Um, Thanks. The book is How to Be You. Stop Trying to Be Someone Else and Start Living Your Life. Available in all forms as of last year. Audiobook too. There's even a UK edition. Oh. That just came out like two months ago. Amazing. That's kind of weird. I have a friend who... Uh, uh, who's a v- v- leader in the veganism space, mm-hmm. Ed Winters, wrote a, just wrote a great book um, that got a ton of press. And, and it's like, it feels so weird that a book, it was published there first because he, he's from the UK. Yeah. And so I was going to like order mine and like get it. And it was like not available in the States until like five months later. <laughs> they just have rules. And I'm like, what is going, like we are, I could fly there Go get a book, bring it back Pick here in my up. suitcase. It's so wild. Uh, but now there's a UK version. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for this conversation. I hope we can do it again in a different context. Me too. I have much more to learn part from two. you. Yes, part two. Thanks. Damn givers, thank you for showing up and for spending time with Jeffrey and me this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. Please share this episode with a friend. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And please, most of all, show up next week. We have so many more incredible conversations coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the incredible team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.